welcome to In Check with Fintech. Drum roll for Leila Kasim, Solaris Bank's Head of Strategy and Shareholder Relations. Leila is a phenomenal leader and capital markets expert, developing Solaris Bank's long-term strategic vision. She joined Solaris Bank in 2019 after working as an independent startup consultant for three years in London. And before that, she spent over six years in New York in financial analysis and research. Going further back, Leila graduated from UCL with a Bachelor of Arts in Ancient History and Social Anthropology. So listen in as Leila shares insights on the move from Wall Street to Berlin and how she's heading the European expansion of Solaris Bank. So in this episode, we'll be diving into banking as a service and how it can replace traditional banking. Well, first of all, Leila, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah, no, uh, no, great to have you. Maybe for the listeners who don't know Solaris Bank, can you give a bit of an insight into what Solaris Bank, Solaris Bank does and where you guys come from? Yes, absolutely. So we are a, a Berlin headquartered banking as a service company. We have been in existence since March 2016, which was when the Bafin granted us our banking license. Hence, that's when we consider ourselves as starting operations. We are a tech company with a banking license, as we like to say. We've built all the most differentiating aspects of the banking tech stack in-house, which I'm really excited to tell you about uh, later. And yes, we're five years old and uh, going strong, I would say. Very exciting times ahead, but we've had some very exciting times behind us too. And I think we're very much the leader in this space across Europe. So uh, that's who we are in a, in a very, very quick nutshell. Great. Because the area that you talk about is banking as a service. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Okay. All right. Okay. There's obviously a lot happening in the space. So uh, yeah, keen to uh, hear a bit more about uh, your insights. I think in terms of like exciting developments that are going on last July, I think you were, you had your series D and were valued at 1.65 billion. You just acquired Contis as well around that same time. Um, That's correct. You just parted with Fizai. So there's lots of stuff going on. Yes. Yes. This has been a very big year for us. Lots of milestones that we reached that we communicated quite readily to the market, i.e. when we raised our Series C in June 2020, one of the reasons that we raised that capital in the first place was to fuel our geo expansion. Mm -hmm. And we announced as recently as July, actually, that we are now live in France, Italy and Spain, three branches where we can localize the IBAN which is the international bank account number. And already, I cannot unfortunately announce who the partners are, but if you keep your eyes peeled in the press over the next few weeks, you will hear about some very exciting partners who will use those localized IBANs in France, Italy, and Spain. So we're thrilled. So that was the Series C funding, taking us to uh, July of 2021. So just a quick short 12 months where we raised again. And phenomenally, we are, we're so pleased. We have now joined the Unicorn Club. Uh, you mentioned 1.6 billion, that's US dollars, of course, it's 1.4 uh, euros uh, in terms of our valuation. We won some fantastic new investors in that round that we think will continue to help fuel our growth ambitions. And 
and not least our Contis acquisition. So we are awaiting, eagerly awaiting, I would say, our regulatory approval to have those transactions closed, we hope by the end of the year. And what we've won with that is a fantastic company that's based out of London. They have both a Lithuanian and a UK-based e-money license. So that really allows us to expand our offering. And it was super important, especially post-Brexit, to have access to the UK market, which we, of course, unfortunately lost through the, the uh, Brexit process. So we are just chomping at the bit because we, we can't wait to get started and teaming up and uh, fuel our even greater ambitions together as, as two great companies. Very exciting. Yeah, we'll talk a bit more about that uh, geo expansion later on. Uh, but maybe first from you, so because you have a background um, on Wall Street, how do you go from Wall Street into a startup, fast growing startup, maybe even scale up such as Solaris Bank? I would definitely say we're in scale up territory now. How does one start from Wall Street? Well, I mean, I started in financial services because I always thought it was going to be a, a fantastic education, which it was. It certainly uh, gave me some very thick skin, uh, the ability to work some long, hard hours, um, and not least an understanding of, of global capital markets, which is really what I was after, is, is that knowledge. And at some point, I kind of felt the world was leaving me behind. There were all these insane companies just building new things that were exciting and that were solving these problems that were in the world. And there I was part of this old guard that was doing this things the same way it had done for the last 100 years and will continue to do so because we will always need capital to fuel growth. But I just felt like I wasn't contributing to the future in any way. So I um, started working after I left Wall Street with small startups in a strategic advisory role. So utilizing my past experience but trying to inch my way in the door with uh, startups and scale-ups. Did that for three years. That was a fantastic experience. Really got to grips with the, the issues that founders face when they start building their companies and what kind of decisions you have to make on a regular basis by build um, strategic direction, funding, so on and so forth. But at some point that journey ended too, where I realized the excitement is really sitting in the seat in the heart of the company, helping drive things forward. And Solaris Bank um, came via a friend through introduction. And I spoke to, to Roland and the team. And I just got so excited. First conversation, I thought, okay, this is this is it. This is the next logical step. And I have not looked back since, and that was two years ago, and it's been such a phenomenal journey ever since. It's been so much fun, I have to say. Great. That, it sounds like indeed something which is really cool to be, uh, to be part of. Do you see much differences in the way that Solaris Bank operates? Or maybe you talk about the kind of main issues that you saw the founders face when you were a consultant. Do you see Solaris Bank doing things differently, and that's what partly making them so successful or not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... We are now a scale up, so we've crossed a lot of the thresholds of many of the issues that I was looking at with startup founders. So 
I mean, absolutely key and imperative to the foundation of any building of any companies. You have to make sure that you have a truly a rock star team. I think that Solaris Bank has done an exceptional job in building this, this real hearty mix of tech, product, and bank and commercial. So when you combine all of those threads and really get this well-oiled machine working, then you can really start thinking about scale up. So, and you have to make sure that every single function is working together to make that dream, make that vision come alive. We have our, our vision internally is to create a world where financial services seamlessly sync with life. That's something that doesn't come to life overnight. You have to really work at it. And when you're talking about scale and when you're talking about geo expansion, it's constant communication across the team. So different, different kettle of fish in terms of challenges that you face from the ones that I was dealing with in early days. But interestingly, it's a beautiful convergence in lots of ways of my financial services world, because by the end, I was a research analyst. So looking at publicly traded companies and their management teams, how they do things internally to really achieve success as, as publicly listed companies. I'm, and we're just a few stages before that. So it's, it's quite nice to be on the inside in the driving seat when uh, uh, I've seen it from the outside uh, for so many years. Fair enough, yeah. Is there a particular big challenge that you see them moving ahead and getting to maybe a publicly traded company? We just need to make sure that our geo expansion is absolutely tip top shape. And I think with some of the milestones that I just mentioned to you there, the fact that we announced in July that we were entering into these markets and then not even four months later, we will soon be announcing the partners that are live in the market. It's, it's about our fast time to market. We cannot be caught sleeping because this whole space is developing at breakneck speed. And that's what's going to be our biggest challenge going forward is making sure that we keep pace with the rate of innovation. We keep pace with our ambitions of our partners who we enable and making sure that they have the best product possible in the marketplace and that we keep innovating. We can never rest on our laurels. Makes sense. Yeah, exactly. That's exciting. Um, and you are responsible for that geo expansion, right? Or what's your role exactly? I mean, your title is strategy and shareholder relations, but that, what does that entail exactly? So my responsibility falls slightly outside of the purview of geo expansion. I, I put the nice strategic objective together that we would like to go to those countries, but I'm not the one responsible for executing on that. That's our wonderful geo expansion team who, as I mentioned, shout out to them, who've done such a fantastic job. Um, I'm basically responsible for fundraising, for shareholder relations, for general strategic guidance for the company. And uh, yes, we, we also conducted within the team the M&A, so conducting the due diligence of Contus. We did look at several other um, targets, but Contus was the dream fit, honestly, when, when um, Roland and I first looked at that company, we said that it was almost one-to-one, -one, you know, of a UK counterpart to an EU counterpart. So we're so happy that this transaction has come to life and we really hope to close very soon. Exciting. Looking forward to, to that. Watch this space. 
Yes, watch this space indeed. <laughs> um, so you so back to Solaris Bank. So you guys operate within the um, uh, BAS banking as a service space. Is the, mm-hmm. do you see you, you guys see yourself as competition to traditional banking? I know that in the fintech industry it can be quite insistuous. You can be both competitors and partners at the same time. How is that for you guys? So for us, we're not particularly competing directly with the incumbents. Sometimes we have seen them in RFPs and more recently, actually, we're seeing them in lots of RFPs. So perhaps we are with some of the people or the partners that we wish to enable. But what we're really doing is empowering those partners who end up competing with the incumbents because we truly believe in uh, embedded finance or contextual finance as it's sometimes also known whereby people want to interact with their financial services much more at the point of sale or point of transaction it's not something that is separate to their lives it's very much integrated into how people live their lives And I think that we're very much at the beginning of that journey. It's absolutely nascent, this market. So we still haven't seen all of the use cases that embedded finance and banking as a service can therefore be applied to. Because what we're doing is we're, as as I say, we're enabling or empowering. We call them our customers' partners because we're behind the scenes, we're the infrastructure play. And they're the ones interacting with the end consumers and uh, the end customers. So I would say that they're probably the ones that are more uh, competing with the incumbents. Whereas, would would I say that we're collaborating? There are some incumbents that utilize some of our products. So that's where the friend or foe, frenemy uh, argument comes in. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how we'll see the the space develop in terms of incumbents. Perhaps we will see that they utilize more of our tech stack because they have to move away from their legacy mainframes. The fact of the matter is, is that they're they're old. They're not agile. They don't have a quick path to market, and they can't adapt to change. That's where we come in. We're cloud based. We've developed our own core banking system in-house. We are fundamentally agile and we can adapt to change in the market. As I said earlier, to use the phrase again, at breakneck speed. And I think that's what will always differentiate us. So the incumbents, they have to either catch up and cotton on or they are at risk of being left behind. So the ones that are more progressive Let's see if they can uh, keep up. I hope that they can, but uh, I think we, we might be leaving them a little bit in our wake. Hey, you, are you ready to grow your career? Are you an ambitious FinTech professional ready to be part of one of the fastest growing FinTech startups in the UK? Then look no further. Our client is looking for a product manager to oversee open banking products and join their Amsterdam office. If that sounds like you, get in touch with PCN's recruitment consultant, Emo Norman. Email in the description. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, probably the ones who are trying to catch up then indeed choose to partner with guys like you in order to uh, utilize the technology that you already have. Precisely. Uh, yeah. It's a five-year-old tech stack. It's young. We're there, whereas theirs, we're talking about decades. So if you want to come and plug into our platform, that's what we also truly believe in is, is the breadth of the platform and the strength of that platform. So if you want to come and plug into that, 
be our guest. We would love to have you. You say it's five years old. I mean, decades from now, it might be traditional. You might become the incumbent, but I'm sure you guys are constantly updating your own technology in order to stay ahead and, like you said in the beginning, to keep innovating. Exactly. I think that's going to be key for us going forward in terms of our strategy is making sure that we don't become the incumbent, that we do maintain an inherent DNA to continuously innovate. Uh, of course, I think that with time, there will become more established processes and maybe we will be, we will be seen as the, the established player in, in 15 years time. Mm. Um, let's see. I just hope and, and it will be my responsibility to make sure that strategically we remain committed to that and that it is part of part and parcel of who we are. How do you differentiate yourself now from well, the incumbents or other banking as a service uh, or embedded finance uh, provider? Is that indeed technology or is it that and something else or what are the main differentiators? It's truly technology. So we are the first bank in Germany that's fully cloud-based. Mm -hmm. We built our own core banking system in-house, which is notoriously named Corona, which we're actually kind of proud of because we hope that our Corona will stick around forever and not this Corona. Um, but we, we understood very quickly that this was something that was very differentiating in the banking tech stack. If we didn't have that in-house, that would propose uh, or pose rather a real issue to our scaling capabilities. So two and a half years ago, we started uh, an R&D project with just a few engineers. And now two and a half years later, we have migrated every single customer. And we did this, by the way, whilst maintaining uh, operations. We were live the entire time. I'm not sure if you know anything about migrations and banking migrations, but they can go extremely wrong and are very well publicized when they do because it's a real interruption to customer activity. We managed to do that whilst remaining live the entire time. Now, every single one of our partners has been fully migrated to our Corona Core banking system and nothing can stop us you know we're on aws we're on the cloud there are no barriers to scale in that regard and we we really believe that as long as we can create those accounts on our core banking system which we do our corona system then the world is our oyster exactly yeah so the technology is, is really important how about yeah. that customer experience i know you guys are in the back basically you work with partners that then have the direct touch points uh, but uh, yeah, within financial services, always that fight for the eyeballs, right? How much do you guys engage or um, work on the customer experience uh, for? So our job, our key responsibility is to make sure that the tech is working as efficiently and as seamlessly as possible. There are some uh, data insights that we can leverage to our partners. So things like how the end customer or end user is utilizing the product. And certainly you can leverage those data insights to create even more stickiness to the end consumers. Um, in terms of increasing, say, uh, eyeballs on the product, that very much is the responsibility of our partners because they're dealing with the user experience and the user journey and um, making sure that their front ends are, are as beautiful and eye-grabbing as possible and, and really create a beautiful customer journey. So we, we never touch the front end. 
we're always in the back end behind the scenes. So our job is just making sure that everything that you utilize of ours, whether it's a card or an account, split pay product, which is our buy now, pay later product, we make sure that that works as efficiently and as and, uh, smoothly as possible. So the customer experience goes as far as more the technology side of things, making sure that exactly. indeed everything works seamlessly yes. and that the consumer has no idea or doesn't have any issues when it comes to indeed paying with their card or um, using a credit or anything like that. Exactly, exactly. And in fact, you know, we, we're we quiet. The only time you're really going to see our name is when you sign the terms and conditions and you'll see that it is a Solaris Bank powered product that's when you're going to see us. Otherwise, if we're doing our job properly, you don't know that we're there. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, so let's talk a bit more about the, the geo expansion. Maybe start with which countries are you guys active in right now? So Germany is HQ. And yep. then we are uh, branching to France, Italy, and Spain. And then, of course, with the Contest acquisition, we shall also have access to the UK market which is very exciting. So why Italy, France, and Spain as a start, let's say, outside of Germany? So with each of those countries, I mean, you're looking at 67 million for France, 59 for Italy, 47 for Spain. That's a total of approximately 175 million. That alone covers almost 40% of the EU European economic area. You couple that with Germany, then further with the UK, you have a huge footprint and an ability to offer those local I-bands, which unfortunately, despite it not being the case, we know it is the case. Each of these, uh, let's say, local payment systems might uh, engage in something called I-band discrimination, as much as we hope and wish that we are a single unified European market, there are local market dysfunctions. And so to ensure that we offer the best possible service to the partners that are local to each of those markets, we, we have decided to branch there. And um, we use this, this uh, example or analogy all the time. For example, in France, if you wish to pay your utility bill, your FR prefix will be preloaded into the payment form. So even if you wanted to pay with a DEI ban or an ESPI ban or an ITAI ban, you couldn't. So that's what we're really trying to solve is also the pain points for those local market practitioners to ensure that they can fundamentally serve their consumers on the ground there. Is it, I mean, indeed, like you said, it's, for me as a European, it sounds like, okay, expanding in Europe shouldn't be too difficult. Uh, is that the same for financial services or is there indeed those kind of local market dysfunctions that you're talking about make it challenging to roll out uh, really quickly within those markets? Yes. I mean, I think we have done it in record time, as I mentioned, the, the from announcement to operation, we're looking at just a few short months, but it is remarkably complex. You have to make sure that you have a presence in each of those markets, so a physical presence, but most notably for A, the regulator, you need somebody who is local with local knowledge and expertise, who can speak the language, who knows the culture, who has a relationship with that regulator and can interface with them, there's that piece. 
Then there's the product and tech piece. There are some adaptations that need to take place for uh, connection to the local payment systems, for example. So there all these subtleties and nuances that one would think, oh, I just use my German banking license and I passport it across the EU because that's what we did before. We passported to, I think, uh, 10, 11 countries prior to branching. And the reality is, is if you really want to do it properly, A, you need to branch and B, you have to have a local setup. So we've already got teams on site. We've got general managers. We're building up the teams further. So if anybody is excited about banking as a service, as excited as I am, then I would recommend you to come and look at our careers page because we've got a lot of uh, potential openings. And, and that way we can really adapt to, to the local market. So a little bit more difficult than just uh, flipping a switch, unfortunately. But hey, that's our, our uh, competitive moat, I would say, because we have the ability to do so and we have done so. And I don't think there are many participants that can do it as well as we have. Here at PCN, we understand how hard it is for recent grads to get entry-level positions. And that is why we are committed to doing better. We've developed a unique graduate sales program open to recent grads and those looking for a career change. People-oriented, a natural empath, ready to learn? Check, check, check. And you're the perfect fit for the, our graduate sales program. Email careers at teampcn.com or reach out through our social platforms. We're ready to welcome you to our team. Do I understand correctly that the, um, the passporting didn't necessarily work out? So you're now actually considering maybe taking out local licenses as well? The, the passporting worked uh, okay because it, it was on different product verticals. So for payments, that was uh, our, our payment API that worked fine. We had one notable partner that was using a gift voucher uh, product on top of that. So it, it worked, but the issue that I'm talking about there where, where you have an, a preloaded payment form with the FR prefix, we didn't even onboard those partners because we couldn't serve them properly. So we always knew if we wanted to have a greater scale and reach that critical mass across the European area, then we would have to offer local IBAN. So we didn't even get a chance to play with them. Whereas now we can, and we have, and we will announce them very soon. Can you say which countries are next? I mean, you have Italy, France, Germany, of course, Spain, Wisconsin, UK, Lithuania, which other countries are now coming up? None that I can announce publicly. We're obviously always assessing the market, what makes sense for us. Um, there, are, there are often suggestions from our partners, especially some of our um, more ambitious ones, which we love because they keep us on our toes and making sure that we potentially go into markets that they know that they would like to expand to. So there are some that... Perhaps would be more obvious if you were to guess them. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you'd be on the right tracks, but we won't get into that game because I'm not allowed to say out loud yet. <laughs> oh, exactly. All right. Okay. More watch this space, basically. Yes, exactly. Is there any other exciting plans you can share with the listeners in terms of what's maybe just has been announced or, Noel, what's about to be announced as far as that's even possible? 
So um, I'm sure it's not, perhaps not too new. There was recently a, a Handelsblatt um, portrait that was done with our CEO, Roland, and in there he alluded to the potential of a public listing event Q3, Q4 of next year. That could potentially be on the horizon. We're obviously always weighing up our options. It could be incredibly exciting to do a listing event for this young fintech to, to storm the scene. And I think it would be some real market recognition for banking as a service writ large. That people really understand that this tech is here to stay. And this is very much the future. So that could be on the horizon. Let's see. Um, otherwise, for now, it's really making sure that everything in-house is, is tip-top shape. It's ready for such a listing event, making sure that all of our banking processes work really well, making sure our product and tech keeps getting invested in and improved and product features updated. So more of the same, really. Um, for now, we've, we've got a fair bit to digest, especially with the acquisition. We're really hoping... Um, to join forces sooner rather than later. As I say, we're chomping at the bit and can't wait to work more closely with our UK cousins or brothers and sisters, however you want to extend the family analogy. Uh, so that's, that's what we've got on the roster until the end of the year. 2022, who knows? Solaris Bank is, I mean, just for the two years alone that I've been on it, and really I wish I'd been on it since the beginning because what a ride. I think that this is another watch this space. If it's if it's happened at the cadence from when I joined, there will for sure be a lot happening next year. So many moving parts as well, right? Especially within mm -hmm. such a fast-growing, uh, fast-moving company. Um, exciting stuff. If people do want to uh, keep track of everything you guys are up to, uh, where should they go? So solarisbank.de is our website. We have our own blog there. Also, LinkedIn is the best place where we're most up to date with all of our announcements. Uh, you can find everything exciting on there because we post regularly. Great. All right. Okay. Well, great to have you on the show, Leila, and hear more, a bit more about Banking as a Service, Solaris Bank, of course, and, and your plans. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of In Check with Fintech. Tune in again next week uh, for another show. And if you have not done so already, don't forget to like and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or any of the other platforms that you use. And uh, until next week. That's it from us. Hope you enjoyed today's chat with Leila. Keep an eye out, or should I say ear out, for next week's episode featuring more leaders in the fintech world. Thanks for checking in with fintech. Thanks for listening, and we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner Free a Girl, who are dedicated to founding child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Eveline, CEO and founder of Free a Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freeagirl.com for more information. Thank you.